Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup from Red Bull Racing Australia. I'm Dave Reynolds from the Bodlow Racing Team. Hi, I'm James Moffat from the Norton Hornets. Hi, I'm Chaz Mostert from Four Pepsi Max Crew, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. It is, look, it's great. It's a fun track. Um, I was conceived on the bowl, so um, <laughs> been, been here before. I wouldn't say it's the number one target on our radar. We're all about winning races and trying to win a championship at the moment, but, but we, you know, Kim and I chip away at it, but right now we have nothing. Sometimes they're not dickheads, you could say. It's just it's, they're just there's <laughs> good racing and I enjoy it. Yeah. From the racetracks across Australia and around the world, here's Inside Supercars. Hello and welcome to this week's show and of course being a Bathurst week, joining me to discuss what's going to go on and off the mountain, a man who is probably the best tipping expert in motorsport in Australia from Speed Week, Richard Crowell. Good evening, Richard. G'day, Craig. That's a big call. You get one top three right, one Bathurst a few years ago and you just get labelled. Yes, and I'm sure you're not upset by it. Another man who's got a, a good... A good read on the race is always Lachlan Mansell. And, uh, Lachlan, I'm looking forward to getting your tips as well and going back-to-back against the champ. G'day, Craig. I've got high standards to live up to. Obviously, I'm not sure if I can handle the pressure. I'm sure you'll do a great job. We're looking forward to Bathurst for so many reasons, but what's been making the papers has also interests me immensely. Uh, the Western Advocate, of course, this is its week to shine, and they've had a number of great stories leading into Bathurst. One about Ash Walsh, who is ready to help Scott Pye fly at Bathurst. And you always, with Scott, when you start talking fly, you do get a bit worrisome because there's been a few times he's got the car flying in the wrong way. Motorsport.com, Paul Slavonic, he had an interesting article comparing Jamie Winkup as the Ayrton Centre of V8 Supercars. I'm sure we'll come back to that later in the show. Richard, a lady that you know well from uh, many a year's racing is Leanne Tander, and she, for V8 Supercars, gave a wife's view on the 1000. Yeah, she did, and uh, don't believe that the V8 drivers are the busiest people in the paddock this weekend, because actually Leanne will be, because not only does she have to look after Garth and everything going on around his weekend, and being one of the the biggest name stars in the V8 supercars, but she's also going to look after the two kids, which are along for the ride as well, and another story this week, Craig and Lockie, speedcafe.com are reporting about Roger Penske already getting into the swing of things with his V8 supercar campaign, and sending some of his key staff down under for the big one this weekend to get a handle on Dick Johnson Racing and that exciting new alliance for next year. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see just how much they can take from this year's event to be able to build into their program for next year. Stephen Otley Lockie at Sydney, in the Sydney Morning Herald had an interesting thought that it's time for a shake-up at V8 Supercars. Indeed, he did. In fact, there are a couple of articles coming out in the last few days regarding analysis of what the future might hold for the V8 Supercar Championship, based largely on the fact that some big overseas touring car categories in the Japanese Super GT Series and also the German DTM Touring Car Championship are going to go to different technical regulations. They're actually going to combine the technical regulations between the two categories from 2017 in what's going to be known as the Class 1 formula, and they're going to go away from V8 engines down to turbocharged 2-litre four-cylinder engines 
in what you'd really have to say is a reflection of what a lot of car manufacturers are doing these days with their road cars going for smaller capacity turbocharged engines um, chasing better fuel efficiency. Now, obviously, in terms of V8 supercars, there is a need to be able to keep it relevant to the marketplace in order to keep manufacturer interest. And the CEO of V8 supercars, James Warmerton, has... Um, you know, it started to, to maybe speculate without making anything too public yet about the fact that V8 supercars might head in a different direction within the next few years. Mm. Well, we'll be discussing that and more with our panel shortly. But first to our feature interview where Paul Peter Norton spoke with Paul Dumbrell following his victory at the Sandown 500. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Tune in each weekday morning for a fast-paced look at V8 Supercars with Supercars Today. It's a short, sharp look at what's happening across the V8 Supercars world. The only, the only things Ross is ever critical on are things that A, going to make the car go faster, or B, going to make the race team look better. So he's um, he's, he's honestly taken on board the, the team, and, and almost, you know, it's, it's great to see how much actually he's passionate. Supercars Today, each weekday morning at sportradio.com.au, or sign up for the podcast on iTunes. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard from Lockwood Racing, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two levels to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to do um, take the win off him. So it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Rapsdale family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Dale Wood from Team Advam GB Gal, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Paul Dumbrell, congratulations on uh, on the winning the Sandown 500. Last year at Bathurst, I th- obviously you were disappointed at, uh, at not winning that one. How much difference has it made this year uh, driving on a regular basis in the development series? Yeah, I think, you know, come a long stint like we had today, I was just being able to consistently drive without making mistakes. You know, it's a huge, uh, huge thing. So I don't think you sort of forget how, how to drive quickly, but what you certainly do do is you struggle to be able to do it for 70 or 80 laps. So... Um, yeah, I think it's been good. Obviously, it's paid paid dividends so far. But you know, Bath is such a long day, so it's a long, a long day to uh, get to get someone near the front towards the end. So we'll start uh, turning our focus to that now. And uh, obviously, you've got the the best uh, position to talk about the difference between the old cars and the and the new cars. So the development series, uh, your, your regular uh, car. What's it like adapting between the two? Yeah, so far I haven't actually had to drive uh, both of them on one day. So come Bathurst, that will probably be there. I'll be a lot better place to actually answer that because I've actually got to race both on the same day. I drive both on the same day. So um, we'll see how that pans out. But I think, you know, the car generally has the same characteristics, so um, it shouldn't be uh, too hard to go between the two. And it was a dominant uh, performance by uh, you and Jamie uh, today. Does that give you a lot of confidence for Bathurst, or what sort of things are you still worried about that have to get go right? Oh, there's 161 laps. That's all I've got to worry about. Um, hey, we showed last year that you go to Bathurst, and even though you, know, you can be quick, you know, feels a few small mistakes, and having the car not exactly where we need it at the last stint, you know, hurts you a lot. So, hey, it's such, you know, it's five or six stops um, at Bathurst. So, yeah, every one you've got to make sure you improve the car, stay out of trouble. So, 
I think you know there's probably 10 or 15 guys in with a shot to win Bathurst and we're just one of those so and we're in no better better or worse spot than anyone else. A lot of uh, the fans here this weekend must have been sitting back at the, the start of both the, the co-driver race on the Saturday uh, and the Sunday race thinking crikey look at the gap he's built. <laughs> Did it come a bit too easy? Did it surprise you how much of a lead you built? Oh, I guess you know you put half the guys uh, on the front row in a good car you know that they'll be able to you know drive and build a gap so I'm not different you know we, we had a really really strong car and I didn't have to pass any uh, pass any cars off the line so if you do that um, obviously you build a good lap uh, build a good uh, good lead you know when you're fifth and sixth in the pack you can be losing half a second a lap not because you don't know how to drive not because you don't have the car speed just because you're stuck behind someone and it really hurts you around this track with only really one one passing uh, passing opportunity well uh, you guys are top of form so uh, obviously favorites in the Bathurst all the best for that campaign <laughs> thank you cheers the views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think it's a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as Fiat Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian time since we've been back and a bit unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth from Erebus Motorsport, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars, where Rich Crail and Lachlan Mansell are joining me, Craig Revellin. Just taking to that point before um, that Lachlan had, Richard, Class 1, is that a future for Vert Supercars in your eyes? Look, I think it's something worth considering. Um, the appeal of having a common set of technical regulations has been proven by GT3. And this is a somewhat dicey subject to bring up in relation to V8 Supercar, given the, the old 12-hour and test day class that continues to rumble on behind the scenes uh, in the sport of late. But there's no doubting that a common set of GT regulations has revitalised GT racing everywhere in the world, not just in Australia, but everywhere in the world. So you've got to wonder that a common set of touring car-style regs would be a great thing. At the moment, we've got... Our series doing our own thing here. The British Touring Cars have got their own regs. The World Touring Car Championship's got their own regs. Even Scandinavia's got their own different set of regulations, and that's not even before you get to the DTM and Super GT up in Japan. So the, the thought of having at least three series, three major series like V8 Supercar, DTM and Jap GT, having a common set of regs has got some appeal, doesn't it? Imagine the wild cards you'd have for Bathurst. Imagine the factory Tom's Toyota team coming down and running or a factory BMW squad coming down from the DTM and running the Bathurst 1000. That that has a certain amount of appeal and certainly from a technical perspective it's certainly uh, very, very relevant. I think the thing that, that James Warburton and the team at V8 Supercars would be heavily considering is, is that the kind of category that's right for the Australian market. And we need to keep in mind that this is a predominantly Australian series with predominantly Australian money in it and Australian teams and drivers, so we need to have something that reflects what's going on here. But yeah, I think it has to be on the table for sure. We've seen Lachlan Bathurst twice before has been rounds of the World Touring Car Championship, and uh, eventually it was 
it was seen as the wrong direction at that time. Australians wanted V8s thundering around there and Mike Raymond along with, uh, of course, Dick Johnson and a whole bunch of others came together and, and really made the shift to what is now V8 supercars from, uh, what was it then, the uh, Group A days, I guess, and would have been, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would have been late 80s and early 90s, but I think there's a few major differences between back then and what we have now. Back then, the technical regulations were very open. I mean, you had turbocharged Ford Sierra's rear-wheel drive up against all-wheel drive Nissan Skylines, and the Australian-built V8 machinery couldn't really compete with the notable exception of Bathurst in 1990. Um, nowadays, though, the, the trend has been to go towards control, a lot more control components, control engines, control chassis designs, um, and taken a lot of the, uh, the variations, I suppose, out of the types of cars that would compete. Now, Jean Todd said, that's the FIA president, about 12 months ago that the notion of exploring a world touring car formula was definitely something that the FIA were interested in investigating. So going to a common set of technical regulations, the three major motorsport categories could really open up the way for something like that to happen. The other advantage that you have as well is that if you've got lots of control components between series running you know, many cars in different series across the world, then there's economies of scale in that, so it would potentially reduce a lot of the expenditure required all of the categories. Um, in terms of the drawbacks, though, I think that the V8 supercars branding here in Australia is very strong. If you go to four-cylinder engines, then, um, you know, you, you do take away that branding, which is well-recognised here in Australia. So that, that's probably the major drawback, and that's probably the thing that James Warburton and the team at V8 Supercars Australia would have to overcome if this is to work. Mm, Richard, I guess the big thing between what... Lockie was just talking about and now is the Australian manufacturing automobile industry was keyed to V8s. Come 2017, that doesn't exist. You're buying whatever you're getting shipped in from overseas, which is what these manufacturers are going to support in these common formulas. Yeah, correct. But at the same time, a car that sells well in Australia might not sell well in Europe. So it's still got to be able to be catered and, and tailored to suit the local conditions. So if you're talking about a common touring car formula for around the world and the FIA says, right, well, that's the regs we're running for World Touring Car Championship, I think that would be horrible for Australia, and it wouldn't work. And, and WTCC is not massively strong. The cars, at least to me, are fairly uninspiring, and, and they certainly don't, don't get me excited about watching them compared to a V8 supercar or even a DTM car. So I think they need to be very, very careful. This is the biggest decision that V8 supercars will have to make. This, this is as big as dumping International Group A at the end of 92 and moving to our own formula with the V8 King in 93. This is a, a massive shift in the way the sport will go and the way it will. our premier category in Australia in touring car racing will, will dominate the sport for the next 10 years. This mm. is a massive thing. So... They've got to get it right. It's got to suit the local market, but I'm very, very pro that international approach. And I think if you can have a, a common set of chassis rigs, for example, so that you could use the same tub and suspension and all the dampers and bits and pieces in Japan and Germany is here, but put a local body on it, for example, 
that suits the local market, well, then I think that might be the way to go. Now, motoring.com today, and I'm not sure if you guys have had a chance to see this, but they wrote a story today about uh, what potentially could be the new Commodore, which is an Opal, and it yep. turns out one of the Australia's leading engineers has been over there working on the development of that brand-new car from paper to the prototype. Yeah, I think that's that's... It was a reasonably long bow because apparently uh, LinkedIn said that he'd been working at Opal since 2010, which was well before there was a decision made to, to dump Commodore in local production. But, I mean, look, we all know that there's going to be a replacement Commodore. We know that it's going to be a mid-sized car. We now know it's going to come from Germany, from Opal, so it'll be whatever the next insignia is. Uh, and, you know, that makes sense. But that might not be what Holden locally sees the best thing to promote. Uh, they might decide they want to promote Camaro. In the same way that Ford might go, right, well, we want to promote either the Mondeo or we want to promote Mustang or or something similar. So, um, I, like I said, I think it's got to be tailored to local conditions to see within keeping a viewpoint on what's going on in the rest of the world. Mm. Well, Lockie, let's talk about Ford for a moment because uh, they really are at a crossroads. Are they going to keep funding motorsport in Australia? And, and if so, how are they going to do that? Because Penske obviously has got huge ties into Ford. FPR have got to the you know the name in, integral in their performance, but uh, which way is it going to go? Do you see? Yeah, well, I think they probably will continue in motorsport just because the psyche of the Australian motorsport fans and the fact that there are still lots of Ford motorsport fans out there, um, you know, is very strong for them. As far as how they choose to do it, whether they look to go down the sports car route of promoting the Mustang as their race car or if they prefer to have a racing version of their family car whether that's the Mondeo or whatever the replacement is for the Falcon remains to be seen. Probably, you know, the biggest hurdle for them at the moment is that, um, you know, it needs to tie in with their ability to run a profitable business here in Australia. Mm. Of course, the other story is uh, about another manufactured car on the grid, and that is Mercedes and Erebus and their future. I almost feel like that story is we've done it to death, Lockie, because it's been going now since Clipsal. Yeah, um, and, you know, at the end of the day, there's not really much more to add, is there? Um, There has been ongoing speculation, as you said, right since the beginning of the year. Volvo want to expand their operation. They want more than two cars on the grid. And it could be that they're more generous in funding and um, technical support than what Mercedes have been. But as far as the the actual decision goes, that's not something that's privy to public knowledge at this stage. Mm. And And the first first thing, Craig, that'll happen is if, if that move happens, then, you know, the haters will go, oh, well, you know, we're back down to four manufacturers now. This is good. But... I think you've got to look from the, the viewpoint that would you rather have a factory supporter or at least assisted team, um, you know, with you know double the number of cars helping development and pushing them forward so that they're always competitive, or have you know a two-car factory team in Volvo and a two-car team with no factory support whatsoever in Erebus doing their own thing and perhaps not being as competitive as they could be. On the flip side, if you're Betty and you've just blown as much money as you have trying to get that, excuse me, that whole thing set up. Um, well, then it's only logical to keep going with it, really, isn't it? So you sign that um, that new customer sports deal that's on the table in front of you. I'll put this question to you, Richard, ahead of the break. But uh, I have to say, 
I was very glad that Lee Holdsworth wasn't hurt at uh, Sandown, but I was glad that all those panels can't be used again because that was a god-awful design. And, <laughs> and n- they said a NASCAR-inspired livery. Well, I don't know that NASCARs looked that bad. And do you think Betty might have been giving a two-finger salute to V8 Supercars to say that the next livery on Lee's car is their GT3 livery that won the 12-hour? Well... It, it's possible. She's made her thoughts very clear about the whole test day versus 12-hour thing. Um, it's entirely likely that it could be that, or it could just be Betty being nice and giving a tip of the hat to AMG Customer Sports, who've been uh, been a big part of their GT program and certainly helped them along to the 12-hour victory by uh, bringing uh, old Ben Schneider and a couple of other very, very good German drivers down to, uh, to come and play. So... Um, Knowing Betty, there's probably more than one reason behind that, I reckon. Mm. Well, we need to take a break here on Inside Supercars. Plenty more in the Bathurst preview when we return. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Nick Perkett from HHA Racing. You are listening to Inside V8 Supercars. Tune in each weekday morning for a fast-paced look at V8 Supercars with Supercars Today. It's a short, sharp look at what's happening across the V8 Supercars world. The only, only things Ross is ever critical on are the things that A, going to make the car go faster, or B, going to make the race team look better. So he's um, he's, he's honestly taken on board the, the team, and, and almost, you know, it's, it's great to see how much actually he's passionate. Supercars Today, each weekday morning at sportradio.com.au, or sign up for the podcast on iTunes. Hi, I'm Scott Pye from Wilson Security, Dick Johnson Racing, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars as Lachlan Mansell and Richard Crowell join me, Craig Ravel and Bathurst. Richard, what are you looking forward to most about this year on the mountain? Uh, there's a couple of things I'm, I'm looking for for this weekend. Uh, it's going to be a race of strategy. It's going to be an interesting battle across the distance to see if you can get to that inevitable last safety car in the last 30 laps. I, I don't think there's much doubt that we're going to have a good finish, but I, I wonder if there's a bit much, a bit too much anticipation that we're going to have another great finish like we've had the last three years. Remember, they've all been amazing to watch and amazing to behold. I don't know if we can have that intensity for another year once again. But and we'll get to this. I'm assuming at the end of the show we'll be able to give our tips. So I don't give away want to give away too much. But a lot's been made this year of the straight line performance of the Volvos. And this will be a very interesting kick in that box to see if they really are as straight, uh, quick in a straight line as everybody thinks they are. And the people that might have been subtly complaining about how most got uh, in a straight line. Comrades along the straight the championship, so we'll find out. If they tick over 300 k's an hour, then we'll know. The biggest question for me is how does the resurfaced track change the game? How is that going to affect this race? And we enter in with a whole new set of variables that no one really knows anything about. Now, 12 hours this year, lap times dropped anywhere between two to four seconds, depending on what sort of car you had and how much grip it produced. So, lap records, probably, depending on weather conditions, which look pretty good at this stage in the weekend. But how's it going to change tyre life? What's going to happen with the, the old punctures and that discussion again that we always seem to have every year is who's going to cut a tyre in the closing stages? It just really does wipe the slate clean of this race and really make it a, a very open playing field. Mm. Lachlan, what are you looking forward to? Well, I have to agree with Crayley on the resurfacing. I think that the story of the sorts of lap times that we see achieved over the weekend is going to be huge. 
In terms of tyre life, I think with the race surfacing, the propensity for punctures might reduce slightly, but actual tyre wear might increase if what we saw at Phillip Island is any indication. When you have a billiard table smooth surface, that means you can carry a lot more corner speed, which means you put more load through the tyres. So the tyres might actually wear out more quickly, which uh, could add that element of strategy as well. Um, as far as the actual race strategy goes, I think it'll be interesting. Maybe not quite as intriguing as what it's been in previous years because of the fact that everybody does have to make a minimum number of compulsory pit stops, but even within that there will still be room for teams to achieve how and when they take those pit stops in different ways. So strategy at Bathurst is always an interesting element and I think it will be again this year. Mm, Lockie, it's the 30th year of HRT at Bathurst. Now James Phelps had a very interesting article this week about James Courtney declaring a Bathurst war on Jamie Wincup. Obviously, uh, you've got two co-drivers that are going to be featuring in on that, but very, very outspoken Jamie Wing, uh, James Courtney coming into this one. He wants to win, doesn't he? And his co-driver, Greg Murphy, will be absolutely determined to make up for the error that put that team out of the race last year. So there's no question that they're a red-hot contender, and James Courtney is... Um, yeah, one of the, the few drivers in that top echelon of the sport who's yet to taste victory on the mountain. So they want to fight hard. Um, as far as war between him and Jamie Wincup, well, Wincup's obviously got the upper hand there at the moment, hasn't he? Because he's won Bathurst four times and James Courtney's yet to stand on the top step of the podium at Bathurst. I know Jamie Richard wouldn't come back with anything snappy, but uh, I'm sure Jamie could say, well, he hasn't won anything since he uh, got out of the Triple Eight cars. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, look, a lot of that yard's a good old-fashioned beat-up, which is nice. It's a good bit of press before the weekend and trying to build some rivalries. And I, I like the I like the attempt of the rivalry between the two Holden teams. That, for me, is great because at the moment, in the last couple of rounds, FPR has been pretty quiet. So we can't have Holden versus Ford. So let's have uh, Holden versus Holden in the two top Holden teams in the last two decades. Let's have them crack onto each other. I think it's fantastic. That could be a very, very intriguing battle, and I'll elaborate more on that when we get to our tips later. All right, then. Now, Lachlan, David Greenhag from Chevron had a, an interesting story, particularly poignant this week in the Bathurst program, about the use of the safety cars. Yeah, um, in the, the Chevron publishing Bathurst preview magazine that comes out each year, he analysed the use of safety cars at Bathurst and questioned whether we really need safety cars at Bathurst and looked at whether there's maybe better alternatives. One of his main bones of contention is that at Bathurst, when the safety car comes out, um, often everybody's still racing at full speed for close to 6.2 kilometres to get in to do their pit stop under safety car as quickly as they can, and yet the time when the safety car is first deployed is the time generally when... Um, drivers stranded in crash cars and recovery crews are actually at the greatest risk. So what he is, has suggested is some of the systems that have been uh, introduced into other endurance races overseas, such as the Le Mans 24-hour, where we saw the slow zones introduced this year, and also the Dubai 24-hour, where they've gone to what they call a Code 60 system, where if there's an incident, rather than the safety car coming out and compressing the field, the officials call a Code 60. Everybody instantly slows down to 60 kilometres an hour. Um, not without merit, I don't think, because 
it would improve the safety and it also means that uh, you don't get the field compression. So if somebody's worked hard to build up a lead in the race, they don't lose it with the deployment of the safety car. Of course, there will be those people who say having a safety car is good because it does bunch up the field and it does produce potential for an exciting sprint to the finish. Um, David Greenhound's argument is that is V8 supercars really, does it have to rely on safety cars to produce that sort of racing? So I'm interested to get your thoughts and Richard's thoughts on safety cars at Bathurst and potential alternatives. Well, I'll go first, Richard. I would love to see the uh, Le Mans system of going to the zones where it's pit lane speed limiter through those zones and uh, and then you keep racing once you're through that zone that has got the affected area. So I'm a big fan for that. I wouldn't like to see the whole six-odd kilometres at 60 kilometres an hour, but uh, perhaps when we see uh, electric supercar racing, that's what we're going to see. But until that time, I, I love what Le Mans did this year. This is a difficult one, isn't it? Difficult, difficult, especially in light of what happened last weekend in Japan. Um, the, the, the whole question of safety car deployments and yellow flags is very, very difficult. I, I like Code 60. Uh, I've had some experience that working with my friends who do the 12 hours. They've, they've called races with it. They think it's a workable situation. The other one that you mentioned, Lockie, was um, about people you know, under safety car racing back to pit lane, essentially. The other trick might be to do what I think F1 has done quite successfully, which is introduce the delta time that you cannot... You get a, basically a countdown from wherever you are on the circuit. You can't enter pit lane before that time ticks down. So basically it means you have to slow right down and you can't race back to pit lane. You've got a, a mandated time that you have to get back, which means that you slow right down. And if you go in too quickly, you'll be penalised. So that sort of negates any advantage you get from racing back to the line. It's, it's a very, very difficult thing, and I'd be cautious of us doing anything wild and out of control in Australia that's a, a drastically different rate to what everybody else uses before the FIA gets a real look on what else is happening in the world, and I'm, I'm sure there'll be some revisions of their safety car and yellow flag procedures after the events of last weekend. It, it's a tough one, isn't it? And, and I, I guess we have to question... Is that last safety car in the last hour of the race a bad thing? Is it bad? Well, I would argue no, but I look at a lot of things from a, a US point of view when they're more than happy to do a green-white checker and have a couple of goes at getting a green flag finish after a safety car. You've got to keep in mind how exciting it is. And there was a late safety car last year, but we still had plenty of laps of green at the end. Mark Winterbottom still had to hunt down, or Winkup had to hunt down Frosty, and they, they had to duel for a couple of laps. So... It wasn't, it wasn't actually that late. Sorry to interrupt you there, Richard, but that yeah. last safety car at Bathurst last year, it was a good 70 laps before the end of the race. Well, exactly right. And, and it probably did help set that finish up, but it was a natural finish. And you only have to look at Lowndes and Tanda three years ago. That that was no safety car in that. And Ten laps of drama of Lowndes taking a tenth here and a tenth there out of Tanda and finally getting to the back bumper bar on the final lap and then having a rumble for the last six Ks. So... I think maybe the role of that last safety car has been overplayed a little bit in generating great finishes. Bathurst just generates great racing. It's a great racetrack. It's what happens. I think we overplay it a little bit. Maybe we're trying to overthink this a little bit too much. Mm. Of course, uh, we do need to get two lots of tips from you this week. So before the uh, final thought, who's going to win the Dunlop 250 Lachlan Mantle? 
I'm going to tip Andre Heimgartner and Steve Owen for this one. They're one of the few combinations that are running two drivers rather than just one. And I think that the drive fatigue is going to become a factor in that race. So I think if Andre Heimgarten starts, they can put a fresh Steve Owen in the car for the second stint. We know how good he is. I think they'll win it. All right. Richard Crowell? Oh, you sprung this on me. Uh, the Dumbrell Eggleston Motorsport Commodore, they've, they've been really good lately. They're a very, very good team. PD's driving exceptionally. We heard from him earlier on in the show. Um, the DBS stuff he's done this year has been a massive boost to his year, I think, and it makes Wink Up and Dumbrell very, very strong for the big race um, because you take that co-driver question mark out of the equation. So I think um, I think PD will, uh, will get a victory there. All right, then. We'll break and then back with a final thought right after this. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Facebook page and to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two levels to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to do after, um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptor family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm David Reynolds from Bottolo Racing Team, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars, a final thought now. And, of course, this week's final thought, it's tailor-made for you because it's who's going to win Bathurst, and, Richard, you're obliged to give us the top three. Oh, I'm obliged, am I? Right. So I have put some thought into this, and despite what I said before the break about Wink Up and Dumbrell uh, being probably the favourites, and I think they have to be after their commanding performance at... Sandown 500. I don't have them in my Bathurst top three. It's Bathurst. It's a crazy old place. So third place for me, and I think this will be very, very exciting, is the sentimental favourites of this season, Scott McLaughlin and Robert Dargaard. Volvo especially, but I reckon they're on for a podium. If, if they're straight lines, everything we heard about, and if the car's reliable, I think they're very much fast enough to be a contender towards the end. Which leads us into what we were talking about before, about that great battle between the Holden Racing team, who are back in form, and Triple Eight Red Bull Racing. So, in second place, I have Greg Murphy and James Courtney. I think there's something about that combination. Murph is fired up. at had a good chat with him at Sandown. I was lucky enough to work with him earlier this year and doing the Grand Prix stuff. He's in a good headspace. He's driving well. He's coming off a good weekend in the NZ Super Tourers. I think they're looking good, and Courtney's more fired up than we've seen for a lot of time. And I don't know what it is, but I think they're the, the stronger of the two HSV or HRT cars, I should say, which means the winners, it's probably the best overall driver combination put together on the mountain in 15 years. Craig Lowndes and Stephen Richards. What an unbelievable two drivers to have in a Red Bull Racing Triple Eight Commodore going to a place that those two have made their own over the last to 20 years, so and especially given the events of 1994. So they're my favourites, they're my tip for the victory. It's not going out on a limb by any extent, but I think Triple Eight will be the ones to beat. All right, then Lachlan Mansell. Yeah, a little bit different to Richard. I'm going to tip Shane Van Gisbergen and Jonathan Webb to finish in third position. They're very strong at Sandown. We know that Van Gisbergen was 
astronomically spectacular in the Bathurst 12 hour, but didn't end up really getting a, a result to deserve the, the drive that he put in that day. So I think he'll want to bounce back in the Bathurst 1000. So I've got them in third position. In second place, Jamie Winkup and Paul Dumbrell. And the winners, James Courtney and Greg Murphy. All right, he's buying into the rivalry. That's fantastic. I, I'm actually going to put my head on the chopping block. I am going Van Giers, Lowndes, Winkup as the uh, as the one, two, three. I think it's going to be a, a Holden whitewash. So was that Techno to win? No, no, third, second, first. So okay, it's, right. Yeah, yeah, Winkup wins. Craig second and Van Giz third. Yeah, okay. Interesting. Well, well, one two for uh, for triple eight. Okay. Yep, and I think it'll be uh, I think it'll be a very interesting stage finish. Um, I don't think we're going to see a, a a manic race to the finish. I think it'll be a, a formation finish once again for uh, for Red Bull Racing. Mm, interesting. Interesting. Uh, I don't think any of us have gone too far out of uh, out of our comfort zones in those tips. I don't think. No, uh, I, I noticed Lockie wasn't keen to say Ant Pedersen in his main game race win as opposed to in the uh, in the Dunlop 250, which is fantastic. Guys, always a pleasure to catch up with you. Looking forward to seeing you on the mountain this weekend. It's going to be a fantastic weekend. Lachlan Mansell. Yeah, thoroughly looking forward to it. Um, obviously, I've been to Bathurst now uh, every year since 2007 and also 2001 as well. So... Um, won't probably be quite as stressful for me this year as when I was doing the Holden Motorsport stuff, but still plenty of work to keep me occupied over the weekend, that's for sure. Richard Crail, it's going to be great. Yeah, can't wait. I'm privileged enough to be able to commentate on Touring Car Masters and Carrera Cup this weekend, so keep an eye on the support category action. It's always pretty frenetic stuff on the mountain, but... Oh, look, this is our grand final. It's a good week in sport. Can't wait to get up there. That's all we have time for this week on Inside Supercars. I hope you join us next time when we wrap up the 1000. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars. Inside Supercars.